Praise the Lord. Oh, I'm going to say it again. I said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Come on to put those hands together. Give God praise. Uh-oh, I'm in the wrong place. I said, come on to put those hands together and give God praise this morning. <laughs> oh, my. We stayed up late last night. We're tired. Listen, I had a Peter moment um, just a few days ago in the book of Acts. The Bible says that Peter had went into prison and the saints began to pray um, at home and they prayed that God would deliver Peter out of prison and then there was a knock at the door. A little girl went to the door and she got the door open and she came back and told them that Peter was at the door. They said, girl, get somewhere and sit down. And Peter went at the door and they went back to praying. They made the mistake in praying and not praying with expectation. Let me tell you all what the Lord has done. The prayers of the righteous availeth much the other day. I'm sitting at home minding my own business. I get a phone call and I look at who the call is from. I said, oh, this can't be her. She cannot be calling me because she's supposed to be on a ventilator, highly sedated. And I answered the phone. I said, wait a minute. Who is this? I said, is this Denisha? Is this Rayana? She said, no, this is Shazetta. I said, Shazetta too. Who? I said, you're supposed to be on the ventilator sedated. Somebody ought to give God a praise right there. I said somebody ought to give praise. And in fact, she's watching service right now as we're praising God. We ought to give God a praise right there for his healing power. I wish I had a praise in church that we can rejoice at the fact that God is answering our prayers. Amen. Can we give God a shout right there? I said, ma'am, I said, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. I said, well, how are you doing? She said, Pastor, I'm doing all right. You just keep praying. You keep praying. You keep praying. I said, ma'am, we're not going to stop praying until you get home. And then when you get home, we're not going to stop praying until you walk through the door. Because when you walk through the door, I'm letting you know now, I don't know what's going to happen that day when we see a miracle right before our eyes. But we're not going to wait until we see it we're going to give God a praise in advance for total restoration in her body total restoration in her mind somebody help me praise God for being a healing God my goodness he is who he say he is he is Jehovah Jireh he is Jehovah Rapha the God that heals <laughs> Grab your Bibles and stand with me. We're going to stop right there. Hallelujah. God is a good God. God is a good God. God is a good God. Grab your Bibles and go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Oh, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you. Praise has to become more common upon the saints of God because literally we should have told the church up when I said that. And magnifying God and praising God and seeing what the Lord has done. I hear you, Sister Cherie. She done got happy all by herself. We ought to have been still praising God and him being a prayer answering God and doing a miracle right before our eyes. Ooh, 2 Samuel chapter 13. I ain't going to mess with you this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Hallelujah. 
My, 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 my. Somebody asked the question, is there anything too hard for God? <laughs> no, he's a cancer-beating God. He is a God that will take you off a ventilator. He's a God that will breathe breath into your body. There is nothing too hard for God. 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel 13. My, my, my. 2 Samuel chapter 13. And I pray that, that part one of her testimony is an encouragement to your faith. And knowing that God operates in doing the impossible. There is nothing. Look at somebody and say, there is nothing too hard for God. Look at somebody else. I know you can't touch nobody, but look at them real good. And tell them, there's nothing. There's nothing too hard for my God. There's nothing too hard for my God. 2 Samuel 13. Second Samuel 13, verse 22. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Look at somebody again and say, neighbor, I'll be honest this morning. I just can't let it go. I just can't let it go. Father, we thank you. Father, we praise you. Father, we magnify you. And God, we celebrate you. Because despite of how it may look, you are still God. And you're still in control. Give strength, give clarity. As I share your word, let us be open to receive what you have to say that our lives may be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, look at somebody again and tell them, I just can't let it go. 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 We've been in a series this past week entitled Feelings. Everybody say feelings. Uh, we've been investigating to see what the Lord has to say about our feelings and how we are to gain some control and dominion over our feelings. That it's nothing wrong with us having feelings. It's when we allow our feelings to dictate how we move and dictate how we act is where the problems and the issues happen. When our feelings begin to control our lives and when our feelings begin to control our lives is going to impact Dr. Frazier in a negative way our relationship is going to dictate it's going to impact in a negative way how we deal with people it's going to impact in a negative way the longevity the genuineness how authentic we are in those relationships because we've allowed our feelings to play a deeper role than what they should. Be encouraged this morning that there's nothing wrong with us having feelings. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane as he's sitting there praying, the Bible says he prayed so that he begins to sweat drops of blood and he asks the Lord, he, said, he tells the Lord that he is weary, he is tired. He said, if you can't remove this cup from me, go ahead, but if not, 
let your will be done. He prayed continually. He said, okay, but let your will be done. Despite in how I may feel at this moment, let your will be done. Jesus does not discourage us from acknowledging our feelings. It's good for us to be able to acknowledge how we feel. Because when we acknowledge and name how we feel, then it reveals what our target is. Then we know what our triggers are, and then we can develop a game plan of how I'm going to tackle anxiety. What, what is my trigger when it, comes to, when it comes to anxiety? Is it a person? Is it a thing? What is it that causes me to unnecessarily worry, Reverend Goodwin, that causes me to get in a deep space in life where it leads me down that road to depression? What, what are the triggers? What are the triggers that when I'm overwhelmed that I'm no longer able to be long-suffering with people? I'm no longer able to be patient with people. I'm on edge all the time. I got to know what it is. I have 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 to be in tune with myself because get this thanks to God. Nobody besides Jesus and probably your mama know you better than you know yourself. We know who we are. We know our triggers. We know those different things and it is unwise of us not to be in tune with those triggers, Dr. Goodwin, so that we can be able to navigate. So if we have to tell people, you know what, I'm not in a good headspace right now. Just give me a few moments. Give me a few minutes. You know what, I know you need to vent. I know you got a lot going on right now, but I, I, I can't handle your emotions and my emotions at the same time. So give me about a day or two. I'll hit you back and then we can be able to talk about it. When I'm able to know what it is, to acknowledge it and then to name it, it reveals the target of it so that I can be able to have a game plan of how I'm going to be able to navigate all of it. It's not enough to acknowledge how you feel. You have to name it as well. Naming it reveals what your target is. I want to look at grudges, the feelings of holding grudges, the feelings of anger. Oh, boy, here we go. It got quiet in the sanctuary because let me tell you this. Can't nobody hold a grudge like a saint of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't nobody. Can't nobody hold a grudge like the people of God. I mean, and would hold on to it and would look at you cross-eyed and lift their hands and praise God and speak in tongues and curse you out with that same tongue. Can't nobody hold a grudge like a saint of Jesus Christ. Here it is. We have allowed, we have allowed society to be able and the, the trends, Dr. Frazier, of society to open up a way and to impact the way of a believer's life. I know you may not like this, but no believer of Jesus Christ has a right to be petty, that we should not operate in being petty, that we should operate what in the fruit of the spirit and that takes a connection with the Lord Jesus Christ where he has access to our hearts in, in helping us to be able to navigate through some valleys and, and navigate through some hallway, hallways that can be difficult to be able to navigate but us realizing that his strength is made perfect in our weakness the story is one that's it's heavy. It doesn't just start in chapter 13, but it starts in chapter 12. We know King David, this great king, this great ruler, that as they're getting ready for battle, 
Scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, they're getting ready for battle. David getting his soldiers prepared, getting his soldiers ready to be able to go out for battle. But uh, as, as, as he peeps through the window, he, he sees the fine-looking woman um, named Bathsheba that's on the rooftop getting ready to take a bath. And he says, oh, my goodness. Uh, he, he looks at the creation of God and loses his mind. He's trying to figure out. He inquires of who this woman is. He inquires different information about her. Come to find out. He finds out that this woman is the wife of Uriah. Not just one of his soldiers, but one of his faithful soldiers, Deacon Brian, one of his faithful soldiers that, 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 that is loyal to David, that is committed to David, that's willing to do whatever it is that needs to be done. So David, here it is. He leaves. He never starts off in loving this woman. He starts off and ends in lusting after this woman, which causes him to, causes him to conspire and to put some things together and to set some stuff up so that he can be able to fulfill the desires of his flesh Bible says that he tells the man listen when you go out when you all get back we're going to get drunk we're going to have a good time we're going to celebrate the victory we're going to have a good time they say hey make sure make sure make sure make sure you get Uriah real tips get that brother toe up tonight get him toe up with the hopes that he's going to go home he's been away in battle for a long time he can be able to go home have praise and worship with his wife and we just have a good old time and then that doesn't happen Uriah is so faithful that he comes to David and says hey how can I go home and be with my wife and celebrate when everybody else is just chilling I said alright we'll go and put him on the front line. Because leading up to this, what causes David to conspire this plan is that he goes and recruits, he recruits Bathsheba to come to his house. And not just to come to his house, he lays with Bathsheba and has sex with her. And she says those words that, 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 that will impact you real heavy if you ain't in the right circumstance, in the right situation. I'm pregnant. And David now is trying to figure out, how can I cover up my sin? I wish I had some honest folks in here because we all have done it. This may not have been your issue. This may not have been your situation. But you've been trying to figure out, before I get called, how we, we will become the Olivia Popes and the Oliver Popes of our own lives. Trying to figure out, how can I cover this thing up before it's revealed? He says, all right, he won't get drunk. He won't get drunk. Man, I mean, they had some good stuff. I mean, they, had, they had some good stuff trying to get him toward, but that didn't work. He didn't do it. They said, hey, when you go out there, when you go back out there for battle, put Uriah on the front line so that he will be the first one to die. How do you set someone up that's been loyal to you? How do you set someone up that's been committed to you and not just to you, but to your vision, to your cause? How do you do that to a person? Lust will cause you to do stuff that you never thought that you would do. Lust will cause you to conspire and plan out things that you never thought that you would do before in your life. He gets them out there. Uriah gets killed in the heat of the battle. The prophet Nathan comes and corrects David for his sins. He confronts David, letting him know that what he has done is wrong. 
David confesses, he realized, I have sinned against God. I've sinned against God. But, but the prophet Nathan told him, listen, do you, she, she's going to get, she's pregnant. She's going to, the, the, but she's going to have this baby, but this baby is going to die. And the prophet Nathan lets him know that, listen, your family and generations to come will live by the sword. Just as you conspire somebody else's life, you're going to see the impact of your sins. In generations to come, okay, okay. I know I got to get the grudges, but I got to talk about this real quick because here it is, here it is. Forgiveness of sin does not exempt the consequences of sin. Oh, we shout and we praise God off the grace and mercy of God, and absolutely we are to shout and praise God off the grace and mercy of God. But because we have grace, because we have mercy, and God has been so generous and kind and compassionate towards us in giving us grace, in giving us mercy, and forgiveness of our sins, does not mean there will not be consequences to your sins. He tells them, this child that you that Bathsheba is pregnant with is going to die. But once that baby dies, that in the generations to come, you're going to see uproar in your legacy. You're going to die by the sword, just like you set Uriah up. You're going to encounter the same stuff in your family. He says, the prophet Nathan, Nathan was so cold, he was so bad. This is like, you know, he was a real prophet. He wasn't just talking about money and, and houses and, and, and you sow a seed of $500 today and then by midnight you're going to get $5 million. No, he tells him he is really clear and precise with him. He tells David, he says, what you did in private, I, I, I will use your sons that will sleep with your wives in public. He said, everything that you tried to conspire to do privately, I would do it publicly. Read the book. We get excited about all these hit shows now, Housewives of Atlanta. If we just read the Bible, we're like, oh, look at this juicy stuff going on. He says, everything you did in private, I'm going to expose it publicly. Here it is. We get to chapter 13. We get this chapter 13. We get the chapter 13 and here it is. We begin to see, we begin to see sin's effect on the lives of his, of his children. That's why saints of God that we can't make, we can't play around with sin. We can't, we can't, we, we can't, we, we can't flirt with sin because sin has the, has the potential not just to impact our lives, but sin has the potential to be able to impact generations to come, the lineage, the legacy in your bloodline. It has the potential to continue to go on and on and on. Get to chapter 13. David has a daughter by the name of Tamar. He has two sons by the name of Absalom and Amnon. And Absalom, Ammon becomes so lustfully in love with his half-sister. That it leads to lust that he conspires a plan just like his daddy of how I can be able to get what I want. You know sin is selfish, right? You know sin cares nothing about you. You know sin cares nothing only but to be able to feed the flesh and whatever it is, the passion of my appetite at the moment. Sin does not tell you what you will have to pay later on. Sin will just offer you a good time right now and leave you in the mess 
that you've made yourself. Amnon becomes so sick in love, love struck with his sister that his cousin comes and says, hey, why don't you just tell your daddy that you're so sick and you need your sister to come and feed you by hand. And she goes and she does this. She does it. She gets in there. Bible says she goes and asks David. He says, daddy, I'm so sick. I'm so sick. Can you send my sister over here um, to feed me by hand? And David does. He said, his son is sick, so he's doing what he thinks that he should do. He sends his daughter over there. She gets there, and she's feeding him by hand. And the Bible says that now this love, which was never love, this lust now turns towards hate, towards his sister, and he demands her to sleep with him. And she says, Anthony, you can't do this. You know, you know, you cannot do this. You can just go and ask daddy for my hand in marriage. You cannot do this. You should not do this. The Bible says she, she's stronger than her. He takes advantage of her and he rapes her now because when she gets there to the house, she is a virgin. You can tell by the, her attire that she's a virgin. Everybody knows that Tamar is a virgin. And now she leaves after he does what he wants to do with her. Now, 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 now. He kicks her out the house. She wouldn't leave. He calls for his servants to come. Get this woman out of my house. And by her being kicked out of the house, everybody knows now that someone has been with this woman. And she has to walk with the shame and the guilt. Someone taking advantage of me. And not just someone taking advantage of me, but my own brother taking advantage of me. Now she does not have a chance, Reverend Goodwin, of ever being married because nobody wants another woman that somebody else has been with. Absalom runs to the rescue trying to cover his sister. Is this true what my brother has done to you? He goes to David to share, Daddy, this is what your son has done. David is angry. But there's no action. Let me just stop right there for a moment because there are some that feels like God has dealt me a bad hand in life. That I've been, I, 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 I've been touched inappropriately by family members and ain't nobody said nothing. They know. They've been angry, but ain't nobody said nothing. People know that at Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and certain holidays, you, we cringe when the opportunity comes and we know that the holiday is coming because we're going to see so-and-so. Nobody has done nothing. People have responded just like David. They got angry. <laughs> they ain't did nothing. And now you feel as if I've done something to cause this when you have done absolutely nothing to cause this. That someone who is sick, who, who needs help, who needs much help, who, who needs salvation and much help and counseling took advantage of you. You've walked with that shame. You've walked with that guilt. You've walked with that. 
And God told me to tell you today that he sees you. 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 You get the help that you need. Yes, it can come through help, but if, it, it can come through prayer. But if you have to get therapy, yes, you, that you go and you get therapy. If you have to get counseling, you go and you get counseling. You do what you have to do to get yourself ready, to get yourself healed so that you can be able to move farther along in life. Because when you don't get the help that you need, when you don't get the counseling that you need, it will lead you to a dark place that you won't even know how to get yourself out of. Absalom is trying to protect his sister as much as he can. He's trying to get justice for his sister as much as he can. The Bible says in verse 20 that she lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. But that's all that David was. He was very angry. Absalom carries the weight of what happened to his sister for two years. He just couldn't let it go for two years. He carries the weight of what his sister, of what his brother had did to his sister. He's saying, I'm going to go on in life, living life like it's golden. Living life and doing what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it. But then he sees Tamar, this young woman whose purity has been snatched from her and whole life has changed. That, that, that's enough to get angry about. Then I go and I tell daddy about what has happened and daddy gets angry. He's the king. He could do something about this but he does nothing. I'm angry because of my, what my brother did to my sister. I'm angry because now my sister, no man wants to be with her. And word has gotten out around town. And I'm angry because my brother is going on with his life. And I'm angry because daddy has done nothing. Two years, he walks around with this weight. Verse 22 says that he, he says, okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to, to, to share my sheep. I'm getting ready to have a celebration. Let me go ahead and do what my brother did. Let me ask my daddy if my brothers can come down to the celebration. Comes to the celebration. He sets it up so that Amnon can be killed. Absalom is looking for justice. And when justice has not been served the way that we think justice should be served, it will lead us to having a grudge. When justice has not been served the way that we think justice should be served, it will lead us to being angry. Think about that young boy, Jelani Day. The pain in that family, the pain in that mother, the pain in that father. The mystery behind the death of that son, find him no brain, no organs, no eyes. What in the world happened to my baby? 
When justice has not been done the way that we think justice should be done, it will lead you to being angry and having a grudge. And if we're not careful, saints of God, and if we don't deal with it properly, we will find ourselves. Here it is. Let me define grudge real quick. When I treat my anger like a permanent resident instead of a temporary visitor. If I'm not careful, I will find myself living in a lifetime of anger rather than it just being a temporary thing. The Bible says be angry but sin not. He does not say don't be angry. He says be angry but make sure that your anger doesn't lead you to sin. When justice has not been served the way that we think justice should be served, it leads us to anger. It leads us to having a permanent address to Anger Avenue. Because I have unattended feelings that have not been dealt with, and I don't know how to navigate through it. Absalom waits Two years, wait a minute, saying you don't mess with nobody that took, first of all, you don't mess with nobody that is quiet and reserved and they sit back and they think for two whole, that's 24 months. They done seen you, they done looked at you, done had a meal with you, but all in their mind conspiring, I'm just waiting for the right time. <laughs> I, 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 listen, I, God ain't forgot, and neither have I. I, 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 I have not forgot. I know your name. I know what you say. Two years, he's waiting with the ideal plan of how I can conspire, and that's what anger will do. Anger will fester up in your heart, and it will sit there and allow you to plot and to plan for a long time to make sure, because get this, Absalom wanted to make sure when he get got, I want him to know that he's been gotten. And I want him to know that it's, you don't mess with no jungle that's real quiet and laid back and don't say too much because they're thinking. That they're, they're thinking, how can I get you? What can I do so that you will know that it is me? Not You have not been touched by an angel. You've been touched by me. <laughs> Two years. He plots. He plans to figure out how am I going to get him back for what he did to my sister. Here it is. A grudge left abandoned. Here it is. It does not produce the fruit of the spirit. It produces the fruit of unattended anger. It produces bitterness, revenge, and unforgiveness. We have to do a better job in teaching in church and preaching in church, especially the black church, that I just can't praise my way through anger. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't shout my way through anger. I can't give my way through anger. No, I have to deal with that joke. I have to deal with that book because if I don't, it will destroy my life. Sitting there. He's not producing the fruit of the spirit. He grudges left abandoned. Two years has produced bitterness, revenge, and unforgiveness. Pastor, what's bitterness? The souring of the soul. It's when your soul, oh God, it's when your soul 
has gone sour. It's when your soul, which was once a good, nice-looking piece of fruit, but over time left unattended and not in the right atmosphere, has gone bad. You may forget that it's there, but something will happen to let you know I'm still here. I was taking some garbage out the other night, and I put it in my trunk, and I said, oh, I'm going to dump it on my way, on my way to work. I forgot to dump it on my way to work, Minister Cherie, and I came outside getting ready to leave, and it was hot outside. I get in the car. And I'm just singing and praising God, Mother Al. I don't know if I was singing and praising God. It was just the right thing to say at that moment. I mean, I was just excited. You know, the end of the day is near. So I get in the car. I'm singing, you know, just having a good time thinking about my dad. I said, what in the devil is this? I said, I know I just cleaned my car. What's going on? What does it smell? I'm investigating. I'm looking around. I said, I bet one of them little kids I play dodgeball with. I hit them real good. And they don't put something in my car. I'm looking around trying to figure out what's going on. What is the smell in my car? And I said, aha. I said, I forgot I left the garbage in the trunk. The heat. I don't know what was in the bag. I forgot. It might have been some food from the night before. But the heat came through, came through the trunk and hit that bag. And though I have forgotten about the bag, the bag allowed me to remember I'm still here. And that is what bitterness will do. You may forget that it's there, but it will pop up to let you know I'm still here and I'm not leaving until you do something about it. That garbage will not have been removed on its own. I have to take the responsibility of taking it out and throwing it away. And if you and I are not careful, we will be, we will find ourselves living with bitterness for the rest of our lives. You ever met somebody that's bitter? They've gone through life. I mean, they feel like life for them has not been a crystal stair. I mean, they can't find joy in nothing. They live in bitterness. Their souls are sour. There's nothing to smile about. There's nothing to laugh about. There's no joy. It's been zapped from them. And when I'm bitter, when I'm bitter, it, it, it changes my countenance. I'm not friendly. I'm not nice. which then leads to revenge when we take action, get this, on our own bitterness. When I have not gotten the justice that I thought I should have gotten, now I'm taking actions into my own hands. Now I'm plotting and I'm conspiring and I'm planning. Some of the saints can't watch Law and Order and see us out Miami too long because we get the plot. Oh, I'm going to use it. Let that joker do it again. I'm going to use it. And came up with all types of plans. You know how to get it rid of a body. Uh, what, are you, what are you doing? We will get to a place now that I'm so bitter. Now all, all I'm doing, I'm looking for revenge. How can I get you for what you've done to me? How can I make you hurt worse than how I felt? And as believers of Jesus Christ, how can I walk out the fruit of love and have revenge in my heart? How can I walk out, walk out, walk out the fruit of patience and long-suffering if, if revenge and bitterness is in my heart? 
I'm going to have to make a decision. Either I am going to allow God to be God and get vengeance or I'm going to do my own thing. Revenge is when I take action on my own bitterness. And then unforgiveness, get this, is the poison of unreleased anger. Anger will kill you. Anger will kill your relationships. Anger will kill your friendships. Anger will kill your romantic relationships. Anger will assassinate anything that looks like life. It is the poison of unreleased anger. I like the way Pastor John Faison, and Dr. John Faison from Watson Grove in Nashville, how he defines it, how he talks about forgiveness, because he says he says it, he says it so simply, so plainly, but I can forgive you, but I have the power now to determine where you fall back at in my life. Oh, I can love you with the love of the Lord. I can forgive you and move on. But I don't have to give you access the same way that I gave you before. That's wisdom. I mean, if you don't hurt me once, I don't have to go around, well, let me just give him three strikes an hour. No, 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 no. I got I to gotta, I gotta put some. If he done slap me, like the kid that hit me in the, in the face with the dodgeball, I ain't forget about it. I don't forgave him. Oh, that will be vengeance, Brother Moses. <laughs> vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And the P, wait till we play dodgeball again. We're going Facebook Live, baby. Yes, we are. Taking them all out. I'm going to call from backup. And all of them getting taken out. Pop, pop, pop everywhere. Going to be dropping like flies. What happened to my class? I don't know. The Spirit of God came into PE. Slaying them out. But anger, y'all so crazy. Y'all getting me off topic and stuff. But anger, it's a poison of unreleased. Unforgiveness is the poison of unreleased anger. This is why it's so important, saints of God, that we have community. This is why it's so important, you all, that we have Christ-centered relationship. This is why it's so important, you all, that we have people in our lives that we can be able, that can be able to talk us off the edge, that we have people in our lives that we can come and be raw and be real and be authentic with. This is how I feel. This is what's going on. And they hear you out and they say, hold up, before you do that, before you text that, before you text it, send it to me first. Let me see what you're saying. Let me see what you're saying. Let me, let me see what you're saying. Let me see what vocabulary you're using. Send it to me first. Before you go live, before you make the post, send it to me. Let me see what you're saying. That will hear you out, that will pray for you, that will intercede for you, that will tell you, no, don't send that. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Reword that. Don't, don't put that word. Put this. Uh, 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 uh. Don't say it like this. Oh, I know you want to beat them up. You about to drive by the house. Come pick me up. We're going to Applebee's. You're not going to their house tonight. We need community to help us deal with the unreleased anger because if we don't deal with the unreleased anger we'll see you on channel three 
because you done did something now and you're trying to figure out, I'm going to call the church, church, we don't, benevolence don't take care of getting you out of jail. We can't do that. <laughs> can't use it. Can't use it for that. I'm I, I being honest for real, though. We can't use it for that. <laughs> we made that rule. But, but the you laugh because, you know, we made that rule a long time ago. We can't use benevolence to get you out of jail. But if I don't have somebody to help me through it, I bring damage upon myself. And as you read on in the story, I got to wrap it up. As you read on in the story, Absalom leaves. He longs to be back with his father. He gets back near the area, gets back in the vicinity of the area, still hasn't seen his father yet. So now, not just angry because you didn't do nothing about my sister. I'm not just angry because the Amnon. Amnon's dead now. But now I'm dealing with rejection. Because I want my daddy, my daddy don't want me. I want to see my daddy, my daddy don't want to see me. And so Absalom conspires. He, 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 he places himself as a self-appointed judge. He said, oh, I wish there was someone that you could be able to go and talk to when you had issues that could solve your problems. Why don't you tell me your problems? And he conspires against his father. He takes his father's wives and he sleeps with them out in the open. <laughs> Everything the prophet Nathan said fulfills itself. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. I know it's hard for you to let it go. I know it's hard for you to move on. But I like what Steve Cuss says in Managing Leadership Anxiety. Jesus died so I don't have to hold a grudge anymore. Jesus died. So I don't have to be angry anymore. In us making that confession does not mean that I don't seek justice. Does not mean that I don't get counsel. Does not mean I don't get the help that I need. But it is reassuring to know that Jesus suffered, bled, and died. Not just so that I could be saved, but he suffered, bled, and died so I don't have to be angry anymore. I don't have to be vengeful anymore. I don't have to hold a grudge anymore. He died. He died not just for my soul, but for, the to, for, but for the totality of who I am and what I would be and what I would suffer and what I would face. It may not be easy to let it go, but you have to be like Thomas. I want to let go, but I, I don't know how. And I need you to help me. I need you to help me. And can I tell you something, saints of God? We'll get more help from the Lord Jesus Christ when we start being more honest with him and say, God, I need help. I need help. I need help. I know I need to trust you. I know I need to pray about this, but I really want to bash them upside their head. I really want to hurt them, God. I need you to help me. Don't you know God? God, God, God understands when you come real and raw to him. He's not offended by that. He is the, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. He knew your thoughts before you even thought it. He knew you was going to say it, so he's not surprised by it. But when I'm real with him, I can get real help. 
even be honest and saying, I don't want to. And God would say, but you need to. And this is where I come in, by the help of the Holy Spirit to help you. Oh, God, do we realize the help that we have available as believers? Holy Ghost is not just, it's not just there to make you shout and make you feel good. The Holy Ghost will help you to do what you don't have the strength or the power to be able to do. And he will help you do what you don't want to do. He will help you to forgive. He will help you not to seek revenge. He will help your soul not to become sour. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Father God, in the name of Jesus. You know where we are. And you know what we need. And you know the help that we need to deal with the things that we have that's, 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 that's overwhelming our hearts. God, some of us can be honest and say some things have gotten out of control. This, this bitterness has gotten out of control. This anger has gotten out of control. This unforgiveness has gotten out of control. This, this revenge, I'm constantly thinking about it on my mind. It's gotten out of control. And we ask for help today. Your help can be in the form of a therapist. Your help can be in the form of a prayer partner. Your help can be in the form of a counselor. But we need your help. So that we won't make a temporary thing a permanent thing. We need your help. We need your help. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen.